0: Is there one in particular that you'd like to start off that would be easier or do you think we should just dive in with the where did sin come from or do you want to first of all answer the who is melchizedek that might warm things up Melchizedek. yeah
1: it's gonna warm up (laughs) that's interesting here's a preview of where we're going guys (laughs) all right here we go i do
2: you guys have stuff on melchizedek no Uh -uh. no really i heard you say you're gonna handle it so i didn't look (laughs) okay
0: (laughs)
1: You can now be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, because with the Levites, you die, and we need a new high priest, and he dies, and we need Mm -hmm. a new high priest. Not in the order of Melchizedek, because Melchizedek, we don't have record of him dying. Mm -hmm. So it's everlasting. Mm -hmm. It's an everlasting priesthood, and that is where Jesus falls, is he is now a priest in the order of, of Melchizedek. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. He is the great high priest forever.
0: Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. It's good to have you with us. Thank you for listening today. Uh, Pastors of the Roundtable is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and is brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Our goal together is to encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and to connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC today in our uh, podcast series, we're going to take a break from our normal series. We've been going through a a time looking at all the different aspects of worship, what worship is, and all the various aspects, especially we've been thinking about public worship and how we should understand that and such. But today we want to take a break from that and uh, just do a little Q&A episode. We've gotten a few questions from some listeners and um, we wanted to see what we could... um, If we could answer some of them, what we can tackle And we'd love to to talk about some of these things um, And discuss them together Sitting around the table with me today Is uh, Tim Michelangeli, lead pastor of MMBC Scott Slater, family pastor here Matt Bates, music and media pastor And my name is Spencer Snow I'm the discipleship pastor here at MMBC How are you guys doing? Great, man Yeah, you look groggy i'm full we just had lunch <laughs> yeah we did and um, then ice cream <laughs> and and ice cream, cream which is horrible right which matt bought we must announce we should announce that yep that was a great was gift a great guy a great gift so if
1: yeah. this is bad it's matt's fault right <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh wow <laughs> well
0: okay well no that was good um yeah we're just here at the church right now um sitting upstairs in, a, in the, the sunday, sc- in the heat yeah, in the sunday school room yeah. I mean, talk about persecution. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's right. yeah, horrible. I mean, so, all right. Well, let's look at some of these questions we've got from, uh, some of our, uh, listeners and such. Let's start with the first one here. Where did sin come from? Where did sin come from?
1: Hmm. That's a, <laughs> that's a big question. I guess that we could go a lot of, a lot of ways with it. I, I don't know if there was more explanation behind it from the person who gave it or not, or just ask that question simply. I mean, we can go to Genesis, right? We can go to the book of Genesis and see the first sin that was taking place with Adam and Eve, eating of the tree that they were not supposed to eat of in the garden. God specifically told them not to eat of that tree. You know, we know the story. The serpent comes, tells them to eat of it. They do. They oblige. Thus, sinning. So, I mean... That's the first sin. I don't think that's what the question is, though, implying. I'm guessing the question is asking, God creates everything. He says it is good. Why is there sin then mm-hmm. in the world? Is, I mean, would you guys agree that's the question yeah. really That's being a asked? question I think societies all around the world have been
0: asking, right? Where does evil come from? Right. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah, I, would yeah I think that gets question. at the heart of the question and... When people are asking this in this kind of context, that they're usually asking the question: Did God create sin? Right. And if God didn't, then where did it come from? Yeah. Because God created all things, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a logical Mm -hmm. argument slash question of if God did not, if God is not the originator of sin, yet God created everything, how do you explain its, its its existence? Right. Right. That's what the question's getting at. Right. Yeah. I think the ultimate answer is that we don't really understand completely how, because even like Tim, you referenced the fall in that you had Satan who was already the enemy. You know, it's not that, that he didn't become the enemy after the fall. He was already the tempter and the enemy. And so what's his backstory? We don't really know. Like, I think there's speculation that a lot of people have from certain places in scripture, but ultimately like that's not something that I think the word of God really gives us a clear answer to if that makes sense we can
0: eliminate a few things right so we can eliminate first of all god god is not the author or the source of of sin right right Uh bible tells us you know he is god is light and in him is no darkness darkness. at all Mm -hmm. so god is also not the approver of sin so god doesn't give a thumbs up to sin Mm -hmm. he doesn't like it um so, he's
2: also not the one that tempts us to sin. That's true. He right. says that in yeah. James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't tempt He is tempt not tempted us. and he does not tempt others. That's yeah. right. At the same time, we have to
0: say that this is not outside of his plan and purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He Correct. allows it. He allows it. It's part of his, we would use the word decree. Mm-hmm. He did decree it, but he did not, he's not the source of it. He doesn't make sin. Yeah. So God made Satan good, right? He made Satan originally, Lucifer was, whatever being angel he was, he Mm -hmm. was made good, we know that, and he became sinful by his own will, and um, tempted Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. to sin, Mm -hmm. and therefore they Mm -hmm. sinned, and that's where we become sinners, Mm -hmm. is because of the fall of our first parents, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think something in answering this question that we need to be, I don't know if the word's comfortable, but comfortable with, is understanding that... There are mysteries of God that we won't know. Like, you can read your Bible all you want. You can listen to pastors and all these different apologists and different things, but there's just, there's just some muddy stuff that it's hard for us to comprehend. I, just, I really just think our brains can't comprehend mm-hmm. it. We We can't mm-hmm. fathom it. And I think we have, and again, that's why I say comfortable. I don't know if comfortable is the word, but we have to be okay with that and still say, well, the Bible speaks of... God is being perfect, mm-hmm. right? All this stuff that we just said. But then the Bible also speaks that there's sin in the world. We have to be okay with both of those, even though we're not the best at saying, how do these then right. fit together? We don't necessarily have that mm-hmm. um, in a way to really comprehend it fully, um, mm-hmm. I think is what I'm trying to get at. So uh, I think that needs to be said, even with some other questions that we're going to answer. Right. There's some questions out there that are really... Really difficult mm-hmm. and hard to wade through. We see truth in God's word, but it doesn't necessarily answer everything for us. Right. And I think we have to be okay with that. Right. And that's not a reason then to turn from Scripture. It's not a reason to push mm-hmm. it aside. It's just an understanding of I'm human. I'm yeah. not the creator. I'm the created, right. and right. so
2: yeah. I have what I have. Mm-hmm. Right. You're also not saying that Scripture isn't sufficient no no, the scripture is sufficient for everything that we need relating to salvation yes exactly but that doesn't mean that the bible is a book that answers every philosophical right logical question that you could ask Mm -hmm. it. yeah there are some things that it just doesn't address because this
1: question has to go to well then how sin happened well god created man in his image but also we have free will and within that free will man chose to sin Mm -hmm. chose to go against god I mean, that's where sin comes from. Just like me, you guys around this table, the person who asked this question, you choose to sin. You have chosen to sin against God. And because of that, you are a sinner. And you ask, where does that come from? Well, the Bible tells me you have a wicked heart. Right. It comes from your wicked heart. It comes from your wanting to be God. Mm -hmm. You're wanting to take his place. And people might hear that and say, no, I don't really want that. You do. You want to be the one to make Mm -hmm. the decisions for your life. Not him. Right. And that's where sin comes from, and so. But then, coupling that free will thought with the sovereignty of God and His perfect plan—that's hard for us to grasp, even though we see the truths of both. That, that's why I said,
0: "What right, I said. right?" No, we can only go so far as what the Bible tells us, mm-hmm. and um, speculation. Is we dangerous, have to stop, right? And that's what <laughs> yeah. Job, the book of Job, is is an awesome book for this because, and that's talking more about the results of sin, right, suffering right. and misery. Right. But still, that's where God eventually confronts Job at the very end and has to remind Job and all of us that we can say a few things like what we've said about where sin come came from. We know it did not come from God. God did not create it. We know God doesn't approve of it. God doesn't tempt us to evil. We know that we are to blame for our own sin and that the first fall of our first parents is the cause and the reason why we have bad hearts. But that's about as much as we can say about the origin of it. We can say God decreed it even. It's part of his plan and his purpose. But eventually we can't we have to stop trying to explain it and we have to just trust God's heart and his mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. And that really shows whether or not we believe If this, this will sound kind of cheesy maybe, but whether or not we really believe in God, if we're willing to trust his character and his heart, even when we can't understand everything he's doing, mm-hmm. we still say, I can't grasp everything and, and explain it all myself, but I trust that you're good and that you're, you're doing this the right way. Mm-hmm. And I know you're good and you're a holy God. Um,
2: I know yeah. one of the things I've heard people say before and I think this might be a way of them to deal with the difficult question of where did sin come from you know if God is good why does evil exist mm-hmm. um, they'll look at it from a perspective that, that puts God and Satan as pitted mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. each other as eternal enemies for right. all time God is good Satan is bad mm-hmm. and it's just the forces of good against the forces of evil duking it out right. and mm-hmm. they'll be a winner in the end right and, Star Wars yeah that's dualism dualism yeah, that's what yeah, it is, yeah. yeah, and so they'll you know they'll have this idea that that's that's why there's evil in the world, and um but like yeah, what you said, Spencer, about you know they can be part of God's decreed plan mm-hmm. and his plan is good mm-hmm. and still trusting him in the midst of that mm-hmm. uh is an important aspect of the Christian life, yeah, that's really good, that's really good, Scott, anything else on that topic
0: no, I mean I'm sure there is yeah <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Question number two. Who is Melchizedek? Now, Tim, you're our resident Melchizedek no. expert. <laughs> Why um, is that? So Why
1: do we say that? You told us. No, yeah, I you never said, said that. Yes, you
0: did. This question came up. Tim said, I got this, guys. Don't don't say anything. I
1: believe how it went just a few minutes ago is I said, Who has some answers on Melchizedek? And nobody said anything <laughs> and looked at me. And thus I said, Okay. You're the leader. I'll answer Go. it. Okay. Go ahead. Melchizedek is one of those. Characters in scripture, that is very confusing. I mean, I think we have to grant that. Like, where does this guy come from? Why is he brought up in the New Testament again? And what is his importance? But he actually is a very important character in scripture. Did you have something? I was going to say, where is he? Can you tell us where is he from? So we see him in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 14. First of all, we have Abraham giving tithes to him. And so... When somebody gives ties to somebody else, they're being seen as a spiritual authority there. And so, for some reason, Abraham saw this king as a spiritual authority. And so we have that in Genesis. In Psalms, we have it as well. Spencer, you wrote it down, I think. Psalm 110, um, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which is then again talked about in Hebrews in Hebrews uh, like chapter five through seven or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is where he becomes really important, but I think there's some definitions. First Melchizedek, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. That's what it means. He was the king of Salem. Mm -hmm. He was the king of peace. So all of a sudden you're starting to see some, some, I don't know, we talked about this together. <laughs> there's, some people say this is Christ showing himself to Abraham in the Old Testament. Others say it was a foreshadowing, different things. We're not going to be dogmatic about that. But you definitely have to think of Christ when you think of King of Peace and mm-hmm. King of Righteousness. Yeah, those, those were referred yeah. to Christ right. in the parallels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's what we have here. And so then the writer of Hebrews uses Melchizedek as his proof. Melchizedek is his proof that Jesus is the true high priest mm. that we needed. And that's important because Jesus has to be the high priest to give the sacrifice, and he's the sacrifice. We know, mm-hmm. we know all of this. But Jesus wasn't a Levite. That's where the priest came from. So there's a problem there. How can he be a high priest if he wasn't a Levite? Well, the answer to that is Melchizedek. He was a priest to the order of Melchizedek. Mm. Uh, The way he uses that is he says, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And this is where it gets weird, and I understand that. In the loins of Abraham at the time were the Levites. The Levites eventually would come through Abraham. But Abraham now is giving honor to this king, giving tithes to him. And, and, And the writer of Hebrews says this proves Melchizedek is above the Levites because the Levites essentially are giving their tithes to Melchizedek. So he reigns above them as priests. Jesus doesn't need to be a Levite. They're saying he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Because the other thing that we don't have about Melchizedek is we have no death. No birth, actually. No birth or death, right. We don't don't have that. And so you can now be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek because with the Levites, you die, and we need a new high priest, and he dies, and Mm -hmm. we need a new high priest. Not in the order of Melchizedek because Melchizedek, we don't have record of him dying. Mm-hmm. So it's everlasting. Mm-hmm. It's an everlasting priesthood. And that is where Jesus falls, is he is now a priest in the order of, of Melchizedek. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. He is the great high priest forever who lived on this earth, can knows everything that we're going through. He has went through that. He, he is the perfect high priest. And it's in this line of Melchizedek, which is the, the perfect line of the priesthood mm-hmm. above mm-hmm above the Levites. And so, yeah, he's a he's a confusing character, but it is actually pretty important mm-hmm. to know and to understand because of the whole high priest aspect. And that's why the writer of Hebrews talks about it for three chapters, at least. Yeah, brings him up. Now, now he was also unique
0: because he combined both the king office mm-hmm. and, and the, the priest. priest office. Yep. He was the king of Salem. Um, like you said, we're not told... His parents were not told when he died. He just mm-hmm. shows up in the middle of these, what, three verses, mm-hmm. three or four, you know, just right here in the middle of Genesis 14, and then all of a sudden we hear about him in Psalm 110, mm-hmm. and then he doesn't show up again till Hebrews. Yeah. So he's a mysterious character um, in a lot of ways. We do know that he was a believer in the true God. Um, he's a priest of God Most High. He right. blesses Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um and such. Also, one of the things, Tim, you were bringing up too about the priest, he's not like the priest, he doesn't die, but also another thing about the priest, right, there were tons of Levitical priests. There's only one Melchizedek in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is, and that's one of the arguments right of the writer of the Hebrews is, you can have a ton of Levitical priests, we only need one uh, for ours, for the new priest, we only need one. We don't need a bunch Mm -hmm. of them because this one's not going to die and he does everything perfectly.
1: Another interesting thing you see in the Genesis account, it says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high and he blessed him. Mm-hmm. There's some who say that's reference to Lord's supper. Like we're seeing that you have the king of peace, the king of righteousness, bringing to Abraham bread and wine, which represent body and blood. Like they're saying you, you see that happening there too. And so again, there, there's a lot there uh, with Melchizedek. I've had other people ask this question to me right. uh, before. It's a good thing to study on your own. I would encourage people to look into it into it more, but that's kind of the What would be your personal it. opinion? Would you say
0: that this is a pre incarnate Christ, or would you say this is a, a a human who's a godly man who's used as a a type and an example of Jesus to come? What would you where would you lean personally? Not being dogmatic, but
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean it's uh it's the same with uh in Joshua. Mm -hmm. When Joshua sees the man holding the Mm -hmm. sword and stuff, and some say that that is is Christ, too. (sighs) Spencer, to be honest, I mean, I don't know if I lean one direction or the other. I mean, either way I think is okay. Mm -hmm. If you want to say it was pre-okay, I'm also okay with the foreshadowing. Sure. Any other thoughts on that?
0: (laughs) No opinions. Nothing. Okay. Uh, Do you have a thought on that? I mean, I would personally lean to the fact that I don't think it was a pre-incarnate Christ here. I think he's a guy that's a type of Christ, but, um, but I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. Right? I know there's there's good people that would good people that love the Bible that will disagree about that, and and there's just not much information given about him. Quite honestly, it's just a bunch of it's sparse information that God's Word gives us. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it is so little. I mean, you think Abraham? I mean, God called Abraham out, right? God talked to Abraham. That's like. The right since that we see and right. all of a sudden you have this guy who's a priest to the That's most right. high god and it's nothing to do with Abraham.
0: Right what? <laughs> it's all, it's, he's a really surprising character. I remember reading one time uh or reading listening to somebody one time and they pointed out that if you were just reading this story in Genesis 14 in some ways you could take out these verses that have reference to Melchizedek and pull them out and the passage would still work. And he was just pointing out the fact that it's just kind of a surprising Inclusion of this guy in this narrative, and it, and it strikes you—it's it's, a—it's ama- a—it's a—it really hits you, and you're like, "Who is this guy?" Mm-hmm. And so that it is—it is mysterious um, to a certain level. So it is intriguing, but good stuff to ask, good stuff to think about. Yeah. Okay. Next, Tim, Matt, Scott, please expound upon the duties of a pastor and an elder. What are the similarities and Differences
2: Between a pastor and an elder? Yeah.
0: Are there differences between a pastor and an elder?
3: Isn't that the same office? I don't think so.
0: Okay. So how do we often, first of all, let's ask a question. How do we often use these words? Whenever we hear the word pastor, what often is used in our context?
2: I think when you use the word pastor, what comes to a person's mind is a man that is employed by a church to be its lead preacher on Sunday mornings okay, and to do the ministry. I guess what people think.
0: What do people, how is that different from what do most people think of when they think of the word elder?
2: I think of an old person.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I agree. I guess it depends what church context yeah. you come from. Yeah, It in depends
1: a lot on the I don't think context. people would know too much. Some of the older members here would, because we had elders. Elder we had elders. Yeah. Back mm-hmm. in the day. I mean, it was a while ago, okay. but I think most people, wouldn't, wouldn't know much about it.
0: Because, um, you know, there's, there's some Presbyterians or uh, Christian church backgrounds mm-hmm. would have elders, and those are uh, typically, I would say, that, that word is often associated with, um, I'm going to use the word lay, or maybe um, right. unpaid mm-hmm. leadership of mm-hmm. the local church. They're, they're a team leadership group. That helps lead the mm-hmm. church. That's often what people think of
1: when that... So they would say, like, you have your pastors and then you have your elders. Your pastors are paid on staff. Your elders are the lay people, right. lay leaders within the church. Right.
0: That, that's, that's, I think, the way the terms are used today. But yeah. biblically speaking, the words elder and pastor... Seem to be interchangeable. I mean, that means overseer, yeah, overseer. overseer, Yeah, they're Bishop different. Too. They're different words, but they're referring to the same yep. office used Just
2: interchangeably in different d- passages.
0: Different aspects of the same office, correct? Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, to answer the question, though, because we want to be biblical, not right. what does it mean in our context necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think the Bible talks of pastors, elders. Again, we're going to use that as the same word. Um, of being those who have been called by God to lead the church. It can be some who are paid, some who are not, who are, who are lay pastors within the, within the church or elders. We, we currently do not have that, but we definitely see where like when Paul would talk with Timothy and that's what he would encourage Timothy to do, right? He says, go and get men to lead with you, have elders with you. So it's not just Timothy being the pastor of this church and leading and making all the decisions. No, it was, it was Paul instructing him, saying, you get these men who meet these qualifications that it tells us in Timothy and also in Titus, we see the qualifications of pastors, elders. Um, and then you guys lead the church. And so there are some specific uh, qualifications that I guess we could talk about I don't know if that's the question that's being asked. It's just asking about similarities and differences. There is qualifications there that all of those men, which would be one of the first qualifications, would be men only fill this office of pastor elder. Uh, But there are going to be some similarities to all of them, Mm -hmm. like, like we see. And I think one of them is able to teach, uh, above reproach, like we see these different things, I think from out of those elders though one one will be out of that kind of the leader,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that 's usually the one who is the one teaching and preaching regularly mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. again it 's not because that person is superior, it could simply be because that person has the uh, the talent or gift of public speaking and preaching and does a good job. It's the best of them. And so they say, yeah, you do it because you're the best at this, right? Where maybe one of the other men's really good with money. And it's like, we're going to trust you to do this side of it, right. and different things. So they're not all the same, I guess. There are similarities, right. but there's that, that would be the differences amongst them mm-hmm. as individuals. Yeah. All right. There's a baseline
0: that every elder slash pastor slash overseer should have. Mm-hmm. And then there's, but there's going to be uh, on top of that baseline. There's going to be strengths and weaknesses, right? And so you're right. And and also, there's also just the 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 reality too that I think, um, practically speaking, God's going to. um, Some people are not going if they were to be put in full time ministry, just because of the way God has gifted them and made them. They also may not find personal satisfaction in it, if as if they were. It, you know, does that make sense? They're, they they find uh, their calling is more and, and their vocation is at work, but they're also an elder, fully equal in, in helping care and oversee the church. But God's given us different, uh, giftings and degrees and, and different emphases and, and interests, I think, and that's fair. And so it, it doesn't mean that, um, we're, we're a basic team leadership, but there's going to be different, um, nuances, different giftings, and some of those, one or more, maybe, Hired by the church full time to yeah. labor mm-hmm. in these things. Others um, may still be part of the leadership team, but they are they they um, work outside mm-hmm. the church, and the, and those are both perfectly fine. And we need really a
1: balance of both in the church, yeah. yeah. Um, don't agree. we? I agree. I think the part of this question that's missing in our context would be the word deacon. Is how does a deacon then differ from elder? And that I again I don't know if we want us to know that we could go into that, but one of the big differences is the able to teach part, mm-hmm. and also the leading the church part. Deacons don't necessarily lead the church spiritually; they're the ones who are serving, mm-hmm. you know, servants within the church. We see that in Acts six of, of serving ta- serving the tables, and and why did they do that? Well, so that the elders could stick to the to the teaching. And through prayer, right in right, the Word of God, right. So that would be the difference there that I think would be more apt for our context to, mm-hmm. to talk more about in depth. But that's not the question, so sure. I don't feel we need to spend a lot of time on it.
0: Good, good. So, what are the
1: duties? I don't think we've talked
3: about the duties. Mm. Like, what is the job of the pastor? Like, we've talked about requirements, but like, what
1: is what is a pastor to do? Mm-hmm. I think it's to lead the church, and so what what that entails is if if we had you'll hear this stated as a plurality of elders where it's not just one and the problem that i have with just one pastor so like if you go to church hey, here's our pastor you ask him he makes the decision there's mm-hmm. a problem with that because that pastor's not perfect sure that pastor needs to be held accountable that pastor mm-hmm. probably has questions himself so he needs able men around him who can lead together mm-hmm. you need that um And so then the duties, I would say, of that plurality of elders would be to shepherd the congregation well. So they're the ones helping to um, seek the direction of God's will for the church in terms of, you know, what's the preaching going to look like for the next year or two years? What passages should we be in? What's the spiritual health of the church? What are things that we need to be addressing uh, within our church? You know, when things come up within society, you know, like, should we talk about that on Sunday morning? Should we not? Right, that shouldn't right. just be the one guy talking just deciding that. right? It's right. a group of people. They're mm-hmm. trying to lead well. Um, caring for people within yeah. the church. Con- so, in, Like in our situation, I can't know everybody personally. I can't know everyone who's yeah. sick. I can't make calls. I can't do letters. And even though people get mad and they'll say, that's your job. That's what you do. I can't do that on my own. I need We need other
2: well, pastors even, to do that. Even yeah. then, in that specific to the role of pastor or elder to the care of people is primarily to the spiritual Mm -hmm. care and nourishment of that person, not necessarily the physical care Mm -hmm. of that person. That's one of the, that's one of the distinctions you see uh, in the book of Acts, I think between the role of a, of a pastor and elder and a deacon, Uh, the difference of a spiritual Mm -hmm. focus to the work of a pastor or an elder. Uh, And, that's separated from the physical care of the body, uh, mm-hmm. which deconsists. are those two things
3: connected at all though.
2: Well, of course we know yeah. that there are connections between spiritual and, and physical. Absolutely. Yeah. But Um, you know, I think a way that a pastor, uh, specifically might care for a family is, um, the needs of a family working through checking on like, Hey, how are you all doing in terms of educating your children, you know, about the Lord? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you have the resources? Do you need? Are you are yeah. you struggling to answer questions sure. for your for your kids uh, that are spiritual in nature? That I yeah. can help guide you through yeah. and, and work with you. Whereas, like a deacon might serve more uh, a needy family in need of mm. physical uh, needs, you yeah, know, so sure. to speak. yeah, so yeah. I mean, there's we don't want to we don't want to say there's not a connection between physical and spiritual reality. Uh, yeah. There is um, they affect each other. But in terms of the pastor i think that's part of his of the qualification of being able to teach mm-hmm. being able to take god's word and teach it and apply mm-hmm. it to people's lives right. and, so that they can then live it out yeah that is specific to the work of a pastor yeah yeah in a way that it would not be to a deacon i don't think
1: ephesians four eleven and 12 i think answers there are our duty as pastors as elder even if we had if we had lay elders this would be their job right He's called some be pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, Mm -hmm. for the edifying of the body of Christ. So again, the duty of the pastor elder is not to do all the work of the ministry. As an individual Christian, it's my job to do ministry work that God Mm -hmm. has put with people around me, yes. But it is our job to lead people to do the work that God has called our congregation to do. And so being the one training people, helping people Mm-hmm. Leading people to do that would be the job of the elder pastor.
3: Yeah.
0: Another verse, um, that um, passage that's really uh, good is from Acts chapter 20, where Paul is addressing the elders of the church. He says this to them. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and that's interesting, right? He's made you overseers, and he's addressing the elders. So he's using the terms interchangeably, like Mm -hmm. what we brought up earlier. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And he eventually says um, that he knows that there's going to be wolves that are going to come up from among this group. And he says, therefore, be alert. And... um, uh, and also, I think in Hebrews, he talks about these leaders, and he, um, he uses the word leaders, which I'm assuming is also talking about the same group of people. But a pastors are to be the shepherds. We're supposed to be alert, paying careful attention to the flock, to mm-hmm. nourish them, um, to feed them the word of God, but also to defend them. Um, you know, uh, sometimes that means you have to drive away the wolves and sometimes yeah. that means you've got to, you, you just got to be a shepherd. Yeah. Well, sometimes it means picking up the sheep that has yeah, a hurt leg right. and that's carrying right. them on your back. That's right. Yeah. That, that, that's right. Yeah, we've got a it's, a. it's a team effort and we need each other and we need, we need a group of, of people. Let me ask this real quick before we move on from this topic. What are the limits as we think about the duties of, a, what are the limits of a pastor's authority, elder authority, church authority? Are there limits to what the pastor or the elder can tell you? And what are those,
2: if that makes sense? I think that an elder or pastor is one who teaches scripture. Um, They are not above scripture. And so uh, we never encourage, as pastors here even, I don't think any of us would ever encourage someone to just trust us about what we say about the Bible. But we would always encourage people to even if we have an opinion to challenge that opinion, so long as you're coming Mm -hmm. from scripture with Mm -hmm. it. So we, we don't have a monopoly on the interpretation of scripture, right? Um, we, that the responsibility of teaching it weighs heavy on us. Mm -hmm. Um, so when it comes to, if, if a pastor is saying something that is not clear in scripture, taught in scripture, then that pastor is overstepping his bounds. Right.
0: Our limits are the Bible. Yeah. Right. So if we don't have a thus saith the Lord, we have to, <laughs> we have to, we can't say, I mean, in in the office of pastor, you may have that opinion as a private person sure. or as a private Christian, right. but as a pastor and who's been entrusted by God with the authority to oversee and serve the flock, you can't say anything unless you can say a thus saith the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And that's hard
1: because like when you get up in the pulpit and stuff, you know, you know that people want to hear your opinion on, current events and these different things that are going on. You know, what does our pastor think? And there are times where you're like, I want them to know what I think, Mm -hmm. but that's not the job. Right. You know, that's not the authority given Uh at that moment, you know, like one-on-one conversation might be different Uh right, with this person. Um, But yeah, that's overstepping the bounds there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think is a, is a good example of that. And Also we're, I mean, we're hired by, the congregation yep. and so we are held to the congregation and and so doing you know what they've called us to do here is also important right, right? we shouldn't overstep that either right. try to do more or less than what right. they've called us here um, to do but yeah most yeah. i mean we're held by god's word first and foremost
2: yeah there's one verse that i wanted to share, spencer uh that actually goes back to the, addressing the spiritual nature of the work of the pastor. And it's in Hebrews 13, verse 17, where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. So I'm assuming they're talking about pastors and mm-hmm. elders there. Uh, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this, I'm sorry, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Mm-hmm. I just think that's a direct addressing of the fact that the work of a pastor is to, Watch over to be an overseer of the souls Mm -hmm. of the people that Mm -hmm. he's been entrusted with by God. And I just think that verse, maybe more than any, highlights the spiritual nature of the work. Yeah, that's good. You know, uh, that we as pastors, we we care about people, we care about their physical needs, we care about their worldly troubles, but I care much more about their soul. Yeah. Right. Because I will one day have to give an account for that. Right. Yeah. Right. Amen. Amen. Very good.
0: Okay. Next question. What was the unicorn in the Bible? <laughs> what was the unicorn in the Bible? Now, this question comes about because in the King James or the authorized version, the word unicorn is literally used in that translation. Yeah, multiple times, right? Right, multiple times. Like nine. Where is that at?
1: Uh, in Psalms. I don't know what it was. I think it's in
0: Deuteronomy somewhere. Yeah, I think it's so.
1: Job. Could you bring that up? Job. Yep. yep. In the book of Job. Let's see here um we did study this beforehand i don't want people to think <laughs> we're just we're trying to
3: find exact interesting well, no i just figured someone would ask the question
2: uh, <laughs> it's in numbers 23 chapter 23 verse 22 chapter 24 verse 8 deuteronomy 33 17 psalm 22 21 psalm 9210 job 3910 psalm 29 six and psalm 34 7. So was Numbers twenty three twenty
0: two one of those that was the first one, uh-huh. mm-hmm. right? Right, and so that that in the King James that was translated. What's the verse say exactly? Do you have the verse? In front I don't of you? have the verse. Okay, in front of you. so but it uses the word unicorn. The ESV here translates it: God brings them out of Egypt and for and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. So the word unicorn is used in the King James, but it it seems to be referring to an ox, an animal. And I think throughout it's pretty consistently translated as the word wild ox or ox, um, in those other passages and such. Um, so, so that seems to be what the animal is, at least according to our more modern modern day translations, um, and such. But what does this bring up about like on top of that, the, um, you know, Bible translation is an important thing, isn't it, mm-hmm. as we think about that in general? Um, what is this? What bearing does... So, I
1: mean, first I think we should answer, what is the unicorn in the Bible? I think we would say it was like an ox or something right. like that. Some sort of animal with a horn. A horned, horned, horned animal. Right. A horned Some animal. A right. Some say a rhinoceros. Right. Some say yep. And then say, so it's referencing that.
0: Right. Now, which, are you going to be dogmatic about whether or not it's a rhinoceros or a wild
1: ox or... I mean, I think it'd be cooler if it was a unicorn, (laughs) but no, so no, I would not be. Uh, No, I haven't seen one of those in years. (laughs)
3: Yeah. But I'm really, what it's getting at is something that's, it's, it's a large animal, it's ferocious and it's
0: strong basically. It's got horns. Right. Right. Yeah. So as we think about the issue of Bible translation though, this kind of is linked to that, right? As
1: we think about. Like, why is there a difference? Why would they say unicorn and why would they say ox? What? What makes them do that? Well, yeah, it comes to Bible translation, which we could talk about very scientifically. I don't know if we could. We could try. Um, But also just generally, it brings up the question of translations. Why do you use the translation that you use? What are the different translations? And I think that's important to know because depending on what you are doing with the Bible – I guess I need to speak to that a little more. Well, depend on what translation I would think you should use, right? So, if you're trying to study the Bible really in depth and you're trying to gather things, I would say you need a Bible that is more literal mm-hmm. right. than word, more paraphrase word word. or more, you know, yeah. um, which those exist. So, like the King James Version is a pretty literal version, uh, but it's not very readable. They would say where the ESV is a little more literal. Uh, depending on what graphs and charts you look at Christian standard Bible would say they're even a little more literal than the ESV version that we have. Um, but then readability is also very important because there are Bibles out there that are exactly literal. What is it like? What is it? The inner literal Bible or something like that. Interlinear. Yeah, yeah. Linear yeah, Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Probably pretty hard to read though right. and really understand what it's saying. So there needs to be readability with accuracy and so that becomes real important. And on the far end of the other spectrum, you'd have a translation like The Message, right. which I've heard mocked and made fun of a lot, but it it's not meant to be like your study Bible, your word-to-word. It's, it is a paraphrase Bible, and you just need to understand that mm-hmm. right.
2: going into it. In that sense, it's not even technically a translation. Right. It is a paraphrase. It's a paraphrase right. of the Bible.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's others, you know, like we have a chart in front of us uh, that comes from the Christian standard Bible. People who translate it like the NIV would be considered more readable than it is literal, um, but still pretty literal. Uh, But there is some, what you might say is paraphrasing. They'll take a phrase and this is what the phrase means. We're not going to say exactly this, this. Um, And I think there's groups who fight over this pretty Intently. Uh, And I think it should be fought for. Hmm. We want good translations. Uh, Sadly, I think some translations are driven by the almighty dollar. Like, I don't know why we need a different translation that is just 1% more literal and 1% more readable. Like, I think it's the thousands of dollars they're going to make on the new (laughs) Um, Or it could be prideful. Like, Hey, I'm an editor on a Bible. Let's do it. Right. Right, Type of thing. uh, I don't know. Right. Uh, but there are, I would, I think we would all say there are some really good translations just in, in general. There's good translations out there. Right. There's bad ones and there's good ones. Right. I don't know. Right. What do you guys got on that? Well, I think you spoke that very eloquently. Wow. That's impressive. (laughs) 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 I mean, uh, I don't think we have the knowledge to go into like how they translate it and what the manuscripts and all this stuff. I mean, right. right. That stuff's out there. The information's out there that you can study for yourself and, right. and really get to know. But and I would encourage people to do that. Oh, I mean, for sure. If yeah, you're yeah. talking
2: to an unbeliever, a lot of times one of the reasons that they will like a non-Christian will give is, uh, the, that you can't trust a book That has been retranslated and retranslated and retranslated over and over again. Well, even that statement, if a person says that, it shows their absolute ignorance. Ignorance of uh, not stupidity, ignorance. They just they don't know the process of of how the of how we got the Bible that we have today. Yeah, and that it actually is a scientific process Mm -hmm. that can be proven and shown. And uh, there are books, volumes and volumes of books. That yeah. explain the process yeah. of translation and show the validity and uh, the accuracy with which the New Testament that we have today available to us yeah. is so close to what the original manuscripts. Which mm-hmm. I'm the, just so uh, a word of the day: a manuscript was the original mm-hmm. uh, uh, was one of the original writings. Yeah. You know that they would be yeah. using there.
1: And so. so for I guess the most I could nerd out in this, I believe it's Homer's Iliad is one of the most trusted books that we have mm-hmm. based off of the original manuscripts. It, it's one of the, it's like one of the most and it's something like they had like 900 and some copies yeah. I think of yep. the manuscripts and so the translation there like they say is like 99%. They are so confident Homer's Iliad has nine, 900 and some. The Bible has tens of thousands. Yeah. Like the Bible is so far above Homer's Iliad in accuracy and in trustworthiness historically that it, it really pales in comparison. Mm-hmm. But yet you don't hear anybody in school like saying, here, you got to read Homer's Iliad, but let's give a note. This might not really be what right. was written. Right. You don't hear that because right. <laughs> they think this is exactly what was written. We have it. Right. And the Bible is so much more trustworthy than that yeah
0: right if you were going to i mean this is a a different issue about manuscripts but yeah if you were going to uh deny the new testament's manuscript history you have to get rid of all of your understanding of of the ancient world right you have to dump that Mm -hmm. because if you get rid of the new testament which is so much better attested by the manuscripts
2: You have to forget about Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Homer's mm-hmm. Iliad, all that stuff. Because yeah. mm-hmm. the sources of those people existing and right. of that history is coming from the same time, time period from the same way. Right. Um, yeah, And
0: right. a much smaller
2: number of they manuscripts much smaller manuscript. <laughs> yeah. compared to what we have and in the New Testament. And to do people credit, I think the reason that they differentiate between the Iliad and the Bible is because the Iliad is a story. And they say, it says it's a story. It doesn't make the same claims that the Bible does. Sure. And so one right. of the easiest ways to discredit in your own mind or maybe to argue against a religion is to discredit its source mm-hmm. that we have for it, which is the word of God. Right. And so um, so I find that most of the time when people say things like that, if you're talking to an unbeliever, uh, they are ignorant of it. And they're usually not very interested in becoming – right. Learned in how (laughs) translation works, but at least you, as a Christian, it helps you understand what translation you should use. I mean, some translations were based on uh, manuscripts that were found uh, to be much older than what previous translations of the Bible were based on, and are therefore more accurate. And um, and so it, it helps you understand and how to do that.
1: I mean, and we do need to be learned about like. The Jehovah's Witness have their own translation, right? And so you need to be aware of that and know that uh, the Roman Catholic Church has what we would say are books in the Bible that are not part of the canon that we would go to, the Apocrypha and stuff, Maccabees, different things like that. Um, So you, you do need to be learned enough to know that, you know, I have the New World Translation, that's a Jehovah's witness one don't read it right. <laughs> like that's a bad translation because <laughs> yes, yep. they have twisted things to work their theology mm-hmm. so yeah. right so we have ESV in our pews in our pews we have yep ESV we chose to buy those more for the readability yeah. of it but also again it is very it's very literal even more literal than uh the king james right. version but it's an easier read it's more, it's more modern in yeah, its language. It's modern English. Right. And But like yeah. the Bible that I preach from, it, I, almost all scripture that I read from the pulpit is ESV It's that, I, that I've printed out. The Bible that I bring up there is a New King James Version Bible. And so the main text I normally read from it, and you might say, well, why are you different? Well, I just, this is just the Bible I've always brought up to mm-hmm. preach with, honestly. It's like, just, I'm just familiar with it. I need a new one. It currently doesn't have like Genesis through
2: Leviticus in it because it's fallen out so many times. So, so I, uh, I have a question for you guys. Have you all, any of you actually changed, at one point in time, changed the translation that you use on a regular basis for like personal reading and study? And well,
1: I I like to go to different ones honestly or like even if i'm going to preach a sermon read the king james version like read different versions just to see differences and then to study why are these differences there you know is it a point of contention is it something that really most of the time no right it's not but again it just Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's just very helpful i believe um so yeah i would say i read i read multiple ones pretty regular just for that purpose I mean,
0: I think I switched to the, the ESV. I, it's probably getting close to 10 years ago now. From what? I don't know what I was reading. I don't know if I'm, I may
1: have been reading. Were you reading the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> it was the storybook Bible. <laughs>
2: oh,
1: well,
3: you finally graduated. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, I was, reading,
0: I was reading the, I was reading the, the Jesus story to book Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and then I thought I'd switch to the ESV. Um <laughs> Tell he would you not, what, yeah. the people you work with. <laughs> um, I don't know. It may have been um, the the New King James because my dad had uh, let me have his. Uh, MacArthur Study Bible, mm-hmm. so it may have been that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure though. Probably. I don't remember. It's been. been
3: a I long mean, ago.
1: when I was like a teenager, the NIV yep. was that's, like the big thing that everybody went to, yeah. and then I remember the TNIV came out, and yeah. I heard some bad things about the TNIV. I can't remember exactly what it was, but then that seemed to die off pretty quick. So right. it must have been a big deal. I don't know. It was I don't remember at all. Um, but I remember that fight. King James NIV all this stuff and right uh, so I I think a lot of people probably still use NIV just because it was so popular Mm -hmm. back then right
3: yeah that's what I came from it was probably five or six years ago that I switched to the ESV because I wanted something more literal right so word for word and then uh, over the past year I've been reading some of CSB yeah, mm-hmm. which
0: is very similar to ES, ESV.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So. so, like translations that are really good, right, would be like the NIV, good translation, King James, New okay. American Standard, yeah. ESV. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are all New King James. With New King yeah. James. Those are all like within the
3: New English the realm. Revised. NESV, isn't that what? I don't know
0: that one. Or is it NRSV? maybe may be NRSV. NRSV. Is that
3: what MacArthur uses?
0: he uses the nasb NASB. NASB. which is which is which is quite literal too Mm -hmm. so i mean Mm -hmm. you hear those acronyms those are all fairly Mm -hmm. good at translations right that
2: anybody scott's over here smiling at me (laughs) i had (laughs) i had my so my old testament professor in college his name was dr draper and I swear he breathed dust. He was like one of the oldest guys I've ever seen. I hope he's not listening. <laughs> he's, he's dead now. Oh. So, no, he won't. But he's also one of the most godly men, I know. But he re- one of the required textbooks for his class was a NASB Bible. Uh, but, and if you brought anything else and read from anything else, you would get like a, a grade oh, like really? down for wow. that. Yes. I mean, and his idea was like I think a lot of people – Will say that the NASB is the closest formal equivalence version, which is like mm-hmm. the most literal. That's right. the terminology mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you have, and so therefore, it is the in English the closest equivalent to what the Word of God actually says mm-hmm. in the manuscripts. And so, why would you want to use anything else? Was like his his the way he would say things, and he was just a Nazi for
1: it, man. Like you, you strong. Well, you know,
2: I'm a millennial using that word. word <laughs> and you know, so I, I, what you were saying, Spencer, brought back thoughts of he uh, would not Dr. have liked that. Like you'll sit there and you'll read a quote from the Bible, and then he'll just rip on you for twenty minutes <laughs> for not reading it from the NASB. <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever wanted to derail his lectures, just what read if you from like read out of the Greek or the Hebrew and just wow him. He would probably correct your pronunciation. <laughs>
1: yeah, <he's>, yeah.
2: <laughs> he was one of the Greek professors, so he would, wow. he would get you. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: All right, let's move. Let's do one last question here. Um, let's just talk real quick about scripture memorization. What's your guys' thoughts on that? Um, anything practical you could talk about that, the importance of
1: it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's... <sighs> I almost think it's harder now than it was before because of technology. You know, like when I'm trying to think of a verse, I can Google it and get it kind of right and Google will pop it up for me and I right. get to find it. Where back in the day, you didn't have that stuff, so you had to read a lot of scripture maybe to find the verse you were looking for. It was just a, a lot more of that. I would say the same, though, with like directions and getting places mm. now. People just punch it in and they go and you're like, how'd you get there? I don't know. This is how they told me to get here. Yeah. But – uh Obviously, we're all going to say it's a good practice because it helps you to meditate on it better. Um, I have found God use verses I've memorized just when things come up in life, mm-hmm. like that's what pops into your head. Mm-hmm. And you're able to remember it. You're able to even remember maybe the context that it's in, like the purpose of the verse. And it becomes very helpful um, in your walk with with Christ, even to, to overcome sin and different things. So I think it's something that should be highly encouraged, but I think a good, a good question for us would be, how do we do it better Then, Mm -hmm. what are some routes? What are some avenues to encourage people to memorize scripture better?
2: Anybody? Yeah, I think, um, I think usually what people will say when you first start talking about memorizing scripture is they would just say, yeah, but I'm terrible at memorizing things. I can't do that. Um, and uh, that's actually not true, I think. <laughs> right. You memorize things that you care about. Yeah. yeah. Like I know some guys uh, that can quote stats of football players and basketball players or baseball players, I'm not talking about you all, by the way, don't worry, <laughs> but like they can just quote these things that they just know random facts about these people that lived 50 years ago or mm. 20 years ago or like they're, they've just now come on the, the scene and they can quote all these facts and stats and they know it all by heart and it's because they've immersed themselves in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, you can memorize your social security number you can memorize your phone number you can memorize well like some you know, nowadays we usually don't memorize <laughs> right, don't right, even know right, phone yeah. I actually only learned my wife's phone number by heart recently because I had to start using it at Kroger for our Kroger card <laughs> um, so like but that just goes to show when you need to memorize something you can Yeah. Yeah. Sure. and so I think maybe part one of the most practical things is have a change of mind a change of heart yeah to say, I actually need scripture. It's not that I could know this; it's that I I need to know this. I think music is a great way to memorize
1: scripture. There's some really good uh, groups out there right now who mm-hmm. put uh, scripture to to music, yep. to melodies, music, and, to melodies yep. and stuff, and it sounds good. And it after you listen to it for a while, you'll find you're singing along with it, mm-hmm. and you have just memorized some scripture. Uh, yeah. So that's a That's a real helpful thing, especially with kids. There's all kinds of kids stuff out there for kids to memorize scripture um, to help them. There's apps uh, on your phone. I have one on my phone. I wish I could say I use it all the time. I don't. Um, But it's on scripture memorization, and it was actually really helpful. I think it was just called Verses, but it turned it into a game. Like, you would say, these are the verses I want to memorize, and it would, at first, it would be most of the verse, and it'd have some blanks, and you'd have to fill in the blank, and it would have some yeah. different things, and as you completed it, you know, your little bar went up higher, felt like you were achieving mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Eventually, to where you memorized it, you had it you had it all done, so yeah. that that was really good for me, too. It made it real simple, something yeah, you could do good. at random times uh, with your phone. There's other ways out there. You guys know yeah. of any?
2: Mm-hmm. One thing I used to do when I had first become a Christian that my uh, mentor had encouraged me to do was you actually can just, like if it's a psalm, type out the psalm on a piece of computer paper and go have it laminated. And you can actually make a laminated sheet of paper stick on the wall of your shower if it's like one of those plastic fiberglass showers. Hmm. And I would use the time that I was in the shower to to read scripture to try to memorize it. It's a time of my day that happens consistently where I'm not really doing anything else but taking a shower. (laughs) <laughs> you know so yeah how consistent
1: consistent enough, it's enough. <laughs> wow enough.
2: Wow! Alicia hasn't complained yet <laughs> I can't argue now that
1: the pool's open I'd uh, have to put it to the pool <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah no one of the things too I think that um is important I, I was talking I watched a video um of uh these three guys, there was a fourth guy, but they were interviewing three guys from different denominational backgrounds. And one guy in particular, um, they were talking about scripture memorization, and he said that he went to a church, his, his life, and he was never asked to memorize scripture, and yet he left his church full of scripture. And the reason was is because the service was full of scripture. And I think one of the things this highlights, too, is the fact that scripture is a communal thing. I think so much of the time we think about scripture memorization as strictly me and my Bible, but it's meant to be something we do as a church in the mm-hmm. worship gathering. And so there are traditions, church traditions that, you know, consistently memorize and say like, for instance, the Lord's prayer or the 10 commandments. They hear that those phrase, you know, those, I, um, one of the, the Dutch reformed, I remember one of the things I would have to do. I was preaching at a little mission. It was like a homeless mission thing they did. And uh, every Sunday I was there, you would either read the Ten Commandments or the Apostles' Creed
1: hmm.
0: as part of the service. And part of the thing was is it, 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 it starts becoming part of your blood, yeah which is great. You start to, to And so I think thinking about this also communally and also with your family, hmm. with your family worship time, um, one of the things that, that could be beneficial is, you know, maybe sit down with your kids and say, "We're going to start trying to memorize the Ten Commandments as hmm. a family." Or we're going to try to memorize the Lord's Prayer or memorize this psalm or memorize the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know what it is. Maybe doing it with your kids or with your wife or yeah. with other people as part of your family worship. And one of the cool things is, is um, you can talk about music as well. One of the really cool things for us was that we started, uh, during the break, we had started trying to do some of the Ten Commandments memorization. And Uriah, start, we started doing that in Uriah had already heard it by music in one of his classes here at the church, the first part of the Ten Commandments. And I'm like, I didn't know you knew this. (laughs) But he was just saying it. And it was great because it's like that had already started to penetrate his mind and hopefully his heart where he's starting to think about it. And so if we can make this um, not simply... And, and if you do that, it should be an individual thing where we're trying to put the Word of God in our hearts, but that happens oftentimes with our families, with our wives, mm-hmm. and with our church. And thinking about it that way, that's, one of I think, one of the wonderful things about reading the Scripture like we've been doing in the service is we're highlighting the Word of God and we're doing it together,
2: yeah.
0: putting mm-hmm. it in our hearts. It's just yeah. a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah.
3: Another thing with Scripture memorization is, uh, I guess, a tough thing is what makes it tough is that we don't practice it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a discipline and it needs to be practiced and you're not gonna get good at it. You're not gonna start out being good at it until you practice it. Mm-hmm. And I guess going back to, to give you an example, going back to um, college for me, which was in music, but I would have to memorize all of my pieces for recitals and such. And we use this system, which they called chunking, which really is just memorizing. That's all it is. So you'd start with like the first measure. If anyone knows anything about music, they're divided up into measures. So you start with the first measure and play it very slowly until you have all of the notes in you know, whatever it's telling you to do. And once you get that nailed down, then you go to the second measure. Once you get the second measure done and memorized, you don't have to think about it. It's all in muscle memory. Then you put them both together. And basically you go through the whole song like this. Well, it wouldn't be the whole song. What I would typically do is find like the halfway point of the song or piece and memorize the first half until that was, you know, spot on right. at a, you know, a certain speed that was slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would do the second half. Right. And then what I would do is I would practice the first half and the second half. Right. And then I would choose like a part in the middle to connect the two together. So you'd have, you know, your first half is like A, I would call it A, and the second half would be B. And then you have this middle part that's like kind of A and kind of B. So what it does is it's training your brain to connect all of these things together. Um, And then like once you have all that done, then you would go back and put in all of the like the emotion, the dynamics and all of that stuff. So if we were to do this to scripture, um, you would start with maybe one verse, memorize one verse um, and then go to the next verse memorize that verse and then put them both right. together and then you could you could add like your verse you know uh uh galatians 5:13 right. right. and then you know memorize right. the verse and then 14 memorize the verse mm-hmm. um and then practically what this does is it ingrains it in your mind And then just like I did with the music, once I have the notes down, then I could start putting the dynamics and the emotions into it. And what you're doing with scripture is once you have it in your mind, then you can start thinking on it. And then you can start really uh, letting it dwell in you richly, if I can quote Colossians 3. Um, And I think that's really what scripture memorization is for, so that we can really dwell on the word of God. Right.
0: One of the things, too, that about how do you memorize a song, like if you're not playing it, but you're listening to it, I mean, how do you memorize a song? You listen, you listen to it.
3: Right, you listen to it, yeah. So here's, here's a caveat for an app that I use. I know Tim Tim had one, but this is just called Dwell. Okay. Um, and it's a you have to pay for it. But what you can do is you can actually set a verse or a couple of verses or a chapter to just repeat audibly. And you can just listen to it over and over and over and over again. Right. And that's another really helpful way to, right. to memorize something, too. Right. So,
2: mm. awesome.
3: well, those are all practical.
2: Just practical ways, right. I guess. Some of what you said, Matt, sounded uh, pretty intricate and complicated. But I think what, if anything, to draw out of that, if somebody heard that and, they're like, whoa, like, that's yeah. like way out there. I think, if anything, what I heard you say is. Have a process.
3: Yeah, have a process. It doesn't, like,
2: there are different processes. There are different ways. I know people that have used flashcards. Yeah, yeah. I know people that have done something similar to what you're talking about. Maybe you write it out on a piece of paper and you stick it in your shower, laminate it or something. Yeah, exactly. Just have a process. And if you're actually intentional about it, you'll be much more likely to actually do it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
3: You know, this comes to my mind, uh, watching the kids at youth camp because they're required to memorize, well, not required, I guess, but greatly encouraged so that their team gets points Mm -hmm. to (laughs) memorize scripture and to, you know, uh, share it with their their team leaders or whatnot. But, But of most of the people that I see that do really, really well with this, you see them repeating it and 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 repeating it until it's almost... Uh, like you don't want to repeat it anymore and then that's when it actually starts to sink in right. you know Right. so just w- pick out what you're going to do and then do it and repeat it right, right.
0: repetition yeah
3: repetition awesome
0: well no I think that's, that's wonderful to think about how we should hide the word of God in our hearts and it's um it's going to take work but it's also worth it okay well if there's no other I think that'll be where we'll stop today um, we really appreciate you listening to this, and uh, we hope it's been helpful to you as we think about these things. Um, really, thank you for sending in these these questions or suggesting a topic that you think we could talk about. If you have any anything like that, please continue to contact me. Um, I have been answering my email. It's s- s- snow. <laughs> Eventually, you'll get it. at <laughs> Or yeah. dot org. okay awesome uh, please contact us uh, let us know what you think about the show or if you have any comments or feedback or any ways we can improve um, we'd really like to hear that uh, thank you so much for listening to this hope you have a blessed day take care and we'll catch you next time